Welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. This is a very full circle, very special episode for me because there's a little bit of a backstory to it. For the last year or so, I've very quietly been working on a whole other podcast project with my dear friend Rod Chong and Race Service, which is some of my favorite people in the world at one of my favorite places in the world. So we've been working on this podcast and I wanted to do an episode with Rod telling his story in the Where Are All My Friends format, but I wanted to wait and save it until Radical Strategies launched. And that moment is here. After all this time, it's finally out. We did it. And I'm so proud of it. And I'm so excited. And you'll hear very quickly in this episode what that podcast is about. But it was this very cool episode where not only did we get to sit down and hear from this incredibly accomplished rad dude, Rod, but we also get to talk about all these crazy parallels and all these lessons that we learned in making radical strategies and why Rod has the motivation that he does and why he wanted to start that. So overall, it was this very, very cool episode. And I've been very excited to do this one with him. I just wanted to wait until the podcast came out. And with that, I want to get right into this episode so you can hear about it. Here we go. Where are all my friends? Rod Chong, my friend, my human. Should my I do this? Yeah, that's part of it. Where are all my friends? I'm very animated with the show. It's very. Where are all my. Yeah. I'm not very good at I have gestures. To. Where are all my friends? All of it. I expect that from you too. As you, as you start telling stories. Where are all my friends? All of Does it. Does that look natural? Look, at the, look how much you got in the camera. Look at that. You got all that. I expect you to utilize all of it. Really? Yeah. You well, I don't know what that camera's seeing. That's tighter. That's a 50. That's just you. So then you have to do small ones. <laughs> Where are cuts. all my friends? For the cuts, you got to go into that one. <laughs> so you should do another one, right? Where are all my it. friends? That's, that's what I'm saying is I need that. Oh, Where are okay. all my friends? Rod Chong. <laughs> so what episode is this? Uh, depending on the sequence, we're at right around 113. 113. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Who was the first person? The first person was Shinigami. Yeah. I don't know who that is. He's an artist that I love. And it was a really cool story because I worked with him at the time. And was he kind of. Were you sitting on the left or right? That one was in my bedroom before I even had a couch set up. We were just like sitting on the bed and I held mics and like had a, had a computer on a little. Damn. And if you listen to, I'm so embarrassed because a lot of times you'll go back to podcasts and the first episodes sound so bad, but it's what the people listen to. So now every time like that episode is a popular one and I'm like, you don't have to listen to that one. And I'm so all how long ago was that? fumbly two years ago. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Here we are. But for the listener that doesn't know, this is actually a really special episode because Honestly, for about the last year, to some degree, from the from the beginning of planning it out and storyboarding it and mm. building it to now, you and I have been working on another podcast, and it's been a project that I have personally. So are we in competition with ourselves? That's we shouldn't be here. Well, I had a joke on that. I was thinking about it. Damn, is this technically a collaboration? A podcast collaboration? Or is it a collab? A collab. No one says collaboration anymore. That word is obsolete. Oh. Well, you should tune in to Radical Strategies for season two, where we look at collabs slash collaborations. But you see what I did there? We spent an entire season talking to people about collabs slash collaborations. And now here we are kind of collaborating on a podcast. Just saying. But anyway, for a listener... I've been working with Rod on radical strategies with race service for about a year now to some capacity. And it just launched at the time of recording this. It'll probably be like a week later by the time this goes live. But And this is why we're wearing matching outfits. That's right. I did kind of intentionally want to wear all black. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's very kind of you. I feel much more comfortable. Just wanted to welcome you. Yay. But yeah, it's been Are a really- Are we going to talk about dark things? I, it's your episode, moody, man. Guide moody, it. dark things. Wherever you want to go. Amazing. Wherever. Wow. But it's been a really fun process. And typically, this is a podcast where I've talked to more people from just music. However, you have roots in music. And it has continued to branch out and talk to anyone creative who has done and accomplished something and been able to do something cool and that they love doing. And that's what this podcast has become. 
So not only do I genuinely feel like you have that story in your life and you've done that, but it's a really cool way to sit down and kind of reflect on and talk about what we've done with Radical Strategies because that's a podcast where we look to the future to challenge ideas and see if we can do things better. So I'm really excited to have this to have this episode on the books and do it. Well, thank you for having me. I'm trying to turn my personality on here. Yeah. I have a finite amount of personality. That's right. I, I was trying not to use it up today. Do you remember in the mornings so when we would record? I'm trying to dig deep and pull up the personality. The early Radical Strategies episodes in the morning at like six in the morning when we talked to European guests and the coffee wouldn't uh, kick in. That's true. <laughs> yeah, well, the problem with that is that I'd be suppressing yawns. So I'd be sitting there and a yawn would be forming and then I'd have to yawn inside without it showing. Do you ever have that? Yes. Worse when you're on camera. You put your you put your tongue you're, up. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yes. This is the evening. This is the evening and I'm feeling good. I think I think we can get you there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to try and sound interesting. I think you got this. Okay. I'm going to use large words and they'll sound more interesting. I expect nothing but the finest okay. words from you. Um, if y'all can't tell, we, uh, we have a bit of a banter between ourselves after a year of putting podcasts together. I think we've together. lost them. This is a <laughs> they're, they're like, who we are they? What are they over. doing? Okay, but for real, where I start this podcast yeah. is I really love to understand people's beginning days of what brought them to where they're at now. Mm. And as much as you and I have become friends and I've learned bits of your story, I'm actually really excited for the format of this because there's a lot of gaps in your story that I don't know. And I think even a listener who doesn't know you at all would be really interested to hear everything you've done and how that evolution has kind of played out because it's really cool. It's been about five or six careers, maybe. That. And that's what I'm so interested in because you've done so, so much and you've continuously pushed yourself to not just settle and to find things that inspire you and to keep going. So I'm really curious to hear, like, take me back to the early days of you finding that first thing that inspired you, where that started and Mm. go from there. Well, I'm from Canada. Yep. I grew up in Canada. Immigrant parents. So my father's from Jamaica, Jamaican Chinese, mixed with a few other bits in there. And then my mother's from uh, South America, Colombia. And um, so I think when you grow up in an immigrant household, you learn maybe some kind of work ethic. Yeah. Um, in that there was always a lot of projects and focus on doing things and business. I would also say that I was maybe talented. I could draw. <laughs> I dare say. <laughs> I could draw. And okay. um, for whatever reasons, I had uh, a supportive parents of the creativity. Cool. I was not particularly very confident at all. I didn't talk. Super shy. But there was one thing that I had great confidence in, and that was uh creativity or drawing painting that type of thing the other thing i'd say is that um my father was quite heavy into cars and motorsports so i grew up racing i didn't know that go-karts what? so i grew up in motorsports and he owned a stereo shop so i grew up around a lot of music my dad always was uh putting crazy bass systems into his cars so so I grew up like, <laughs> that's the Jamaican side, right? Heavy amounts of bass. <laughs> I remember this part. Yeah. I remember you saying that he had a stereo shop, but I didn't know the yeah. other part. That's crazy. So um, you know, growing up, I would always be at the family business and he had a stereo shop, he had a car installation shop. So we always had these kind of street cars coming through and I'd sometimes help install these stereos and these are cars. And there was, so there's a lot of music around and racing. And um, I think it's part of Jamaican culture that you're kind of cool or you're you've got your kind of angle on things your style or whatever that thing is there's something about that cultural influence i think for me which is quite strong for whatever reasons at a very young age i was very interested in being cool there wasn't a I, you know i was very unathletic very small but that was sort of the thing music um yeah you know, i was gonna say I, what I was, did cool look I was like, like eight to years you? old and demanding to have a leather jacket and you know all, all this stuff and yeah i'm so curious like what did cool look like to you then what was your definition of like uh yeah it was it was you know what you, what you wore just music and then i i also i think gained a fair amount of confidence out of um well the act of being a racing driver you know as a kid that 
didn't do team sports and was very much separate. It was experienced a fair amount of racism as well. But these were things that gave solace and, and joy. That feeling carried through. Um, I would say that there was other, there's this other family um, that was friends of our family, the Hughes. And uh, they had two sons that were also around the same age. And that family also, I'd say, had an influence on me as a kid. There was Errol Hugh, who was an architect, and then Wendy Hugh, and they were also, they were Jamaican Chinese as well. So there was this kind of, you know, looking back, I can see that there's this other family that also had some influence in some ways. Because it's interesting when you look at the notion of a kid dreaming about the future or a teenager dreaming about the future, you know, what, what exactly, what images come to mind, right? Yeah. Some kids or teenagers through whatever influence they have maybe they if they have a stable household maybe they don't but sometimes they're they're going to learn to dive into the world of imagination or imagine a life for themselves so i i remember um you know as a teenager imagining that i could have a life being in international cities being involved with the music industry or music uh being cool, I suppose, on a very superficial level, and, and also just being creative. So that imagery was always kind of there. You know, I was in a goth and a punk. Yeah. And so the notion of self-identity being attached to music yeah. and, uh, and style and personal presentation, um, I think, you know, those kids who are teenagers who embrace style and music as part of identity, that Probably, if that carries through into your profession and your identity, I think that that can kind of send an imprint for the rest of your life. So, from you can tell, can there's a goth dar going off, right? <laughs> yeah, so, right. <laughs> former goth, former punk, and all that um, racing. You can kind of see the themes coming up here, right? It's all kind of. Have I ever continued. seen you wear a color? Some of your like accent, like every now and then, there'll be like a neon green yeah. and like a yeah. Yeah, pink okay. shoes and so forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I'm more going into the psychology of it. Well, was no, good at drawing, went to art school, and something like that. What I really like that you said there was that you, from a very young age, would always imagine and see this vision, and you'd kind of visualize this. And I think that that's something. It's a through line that I've heard in a mm. lot of remarkable people that I've talked to. Yeah, is always kind of imagining and inventing and seeing this future and, and building your own future. Yeah, I think um, I believe that so much about how one's life manifests comes through belief, but also having the courage or whatever it is, the willpower to to see yourself in, in a scenario or to see things happening. See, imagine yourself being a professional creative or an artist or recording artist or whatever, living through your talent. And then also um, your self-expression also being kind of wrapped up in that a lot of creative people are like that you know yeah. creative professionals it's all part of a, a way of living for whatever reasons i kind of was always like that in some ways so anyway getting back to things that grew up in racing yep um talented as an artist kind of cautious as well sure um but uh eventually went to art school mm -hmm. so grew up in vancouver canada uh went to toronto and then at the same time, a close friend of mine, Errolson Hugh, also moved to Toronto that same year and went to fashion school. And had y'all like grown up on the same block? Like, No, uh, he always lived usually in a different Canadian city. But, okay. you know, I'd go spend time with the family. Got it. So the but, families were very close, but it's not yeah. like he's like your next door neighbor. It's not no. like you're out like riding BMX no, bikes together. No. Okay. No, but th there was definitely uh, a lot of interplay. Right. Of, so then you guys end up going to school at the same yeah. time and uh, yeah and i you know i don't mean to make this about this other person but i think when you look at what i'm doing now it kind of intersects well in our college um there was there was a lot of passion towards what was emerging as electronic music um fashion um manga anime yeah cyberpunk um the writings of this author william gibson there was a lot of focus on all of these elements. The, there, there were a lot of projects happening. Yeah. Um, and so I studied um, a program at the Ontario Col College of Art. Mm -hmm. I think it's called the Ontario College of Art and Design mm -hmm. University, something. But OCAD. Mm -hmm. Anyway, of... it was called OCA back then. 
And I studied a program called New Media, which was a mix of computer graphics, music production, electronic music, a uh, little bit of film, photography, 3D. So I have all, one question. All there. these different things. Yeah. The kid, the picture of the kid that you painted, it makes sense that you got there. Mm -hmm. But I could also imagine a totally other world, like a, a totally different world for you, where if you grew up racing, so many kids will just go fully, fully pursue that. And the fact that you were drawing, like I could almost see you doing like liveries on yeah, I was cars. drawing race cars. I was building model cars, playing with Hot Wheels, slot cars, so did radio you... control cars. The thing is, is that I, I'm more like a, a gentle soul. I'm not competitive. Uh, okay. I'm not really aggressive in that way. Because I was going to say, so the notion of, of sport and and competition was never. I, I I never really enjoyed racing. I like the idea of being a racing driver, but for me, drawing race, racing cars building stuff designing the paint jobs that was more the comfort zone that answers it okay yeah. so then sensitive artist kid right so school comes up and like it sounds like your parents were pretty supportive of Very that supportive, so it yeah. was like a logical decision to go to a school where you could further strengthen and learn yeah all and I, i'm things. very grateful that 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 was supported because i was good at that type of thing i had reasonable decent confidence in my abilities as a as a creative pretty low confidence elsewhere um but that that definitely was um yeah the, the right move That's art amazing. school and um the interesting thing to note is at this time there was a burgeoning electronic music scene in my native uh, vancouver canada during the summers i would go and apprentice um at these video post-production houses and i met this uh music video director who was a little bit older than me named willie morrison and he was working with bands like frontline assembly skinny puppy and you know we're full into the industrial golf scene and yeah. uh so he kind of became my mentor i feel very sorry for him because i was the right piece of work then uh, um super competitive arrogant just a stupid you were kind of figuring i, yourself I thought out i going yeah through i whatever. thought myself to be such an important you know it's like 19. and he still took you under his wing. yeah i was 19 or so and i started working with these bands and he would have me direct second unit and things and um so very quickly, I, I got to work with these these bands, uh, I mean, music videos. Pretty young to be yeah. starting to and direct videos. Maybe I was twenty, but still, but, yeah. So I didn't even finish art college because I just started getting hired to direct music videos. Whoa! And um, so that's when things kicked off. But I was too young, so immature. But still, I, I started and yeah, worked with these bands. Eventually, ended up in L.A. Okay, living with Skinny Puppy in Whoa. in Malibu. And very quickly, I started working with Marilyn Manson. What? Uh, I directed their first music video. What? And How uh, never talked. I knew this was so going to happen. Ago. I knew this was going to happen on this podcast because you're saying pieces where I'm like, cool. I knew you directed videos. I yeah. knew you went to that school. But now there's these pieces where I'm like, oh, okay, what, yeah. dude? But I, I don't think it was really. It wasn't a very successful thing for me because one. I didn't. One thing I learned later is that you really need to focus on craft. Mm. If you're to be really successful, especially at a young age, you really need to know the medium you're working in. So I was uh, presenting myself as a music video director. I did not have a very good understanding of film craft. You know, how do you go film something? How do you inspire a film crew? How do you stand up and get a film crew working in one direction? Wow. How do you handle the client that's the record label? All these things. I was too immature. Well, that and maybe and you were also maybe just too much of an artist. I was too young. Like you I was, just No, seeing, I was literally uh, too young. Even though I did some stuff, um, I didn't have the full skill set. Mm. And so it was kind of a notchy career. I did a lot of work, but it was 10 years of financial struggle. Wow, you did that for 10 years? Yeah. And I moved to London. I did it. You're I look back on it and see that I grew. Yeah. And but I grew through some level of failure, I'd say. I was not successful per se. Like I you made had it work. names with notable artists and you did cool things, but there's also all the times of you figuring it out and not yeah. whatever. I, I don't think uh, I went from one thing to the next, you know, working with different different artists, but I don't think I ever really connected and and I look back on the work and I'm not really necessarily very proud of it when I see that I did a couple pieces that are okay. Yeah. Like I worked with the singer from Atari Teenage Riot, Hanin Elias, and we did one video 
uh, that was okay. It kind of fizzled out after a while. Um, and, and I was starting to have to do freelance after work for banks to survive. Oh, like you know, it really, up, like, it really whatever. died out after a period of time when I was no longer the young, fresh thing, you know? Still, so like most of your 20s was Rod Chong video director. Yeah, music video directing, yeah. Wow. I did not realize, like, again, I knew that as like yeah. a cliff note of, oh yeah, he directed video, music videos. But I didn't know like the time frame and I didn't know like the scope of what that really looked like. I think the lesson for me there was you really need to learn the craft and in some ways uh, and be humble. And I was super arrogant. I thought of myself to be God's gift to the universe. And when you're a big big fish in a small pond, so talented, goth, futuristic kid in Canada working with some bands that were somewhat recognized in their scene when i i decided to move to london yeah to because i wanted to work with the you know the the prodigy and chemical brothers these types of things you know i wanted i wanted to do that but it never happened for me there because i went there and i was i i realized very quickly that i did not have the sophistication the skill set the gumption everything to go to a big international creative market like london and be on par with the creatives that i was competing against there i did not have the skill set so it would definitely ended in that career ended with failure but that's humbling it was super humbling and and you know i I had other friends that i came up with Mm -hmm. um who were starting to do better was errolson at this time so at at that time errolson moved to germany as my career was completely failing that was around the time he was founding acronym and this type of thing and things were starting to progress for him yeah so it was fairly tough but sometimes great growth happens with failure i yes there's this quote that that um that i've heard before that life is not a success only journey and um that that's how it is right i love that yeah so things started actually getting more interesting for career number two okay you're doing such a great job yeah, you're so, before i can even ask the question you're taking me there. so um it's like you should have a podcast <laughs> <laughs> well career two is interesting because um my music video career had completely stopped no one no one was interested in working with me and i was doing freelance after effects and i was fairly depressed about the whole thing fairly miserable because yeah. i still believed that i was an international level creative that was still a given i still believed that i should have a level of international success for my capacity as a creative i love that i love that even like taking some blows and being humbled like yeah. you're still believing in yourself i still believe still that i had i had the skill that's somehow cool. the vision yeah and i look back and maybe i was just too far ahead of my time i don't know exactly but and also this immaturity i'd say but to just i was so miserable and and uh i heard about there's this video game that you could get called sports car gt it's a pc game and i heard that there's this game and you can add cars to it and add tracks and people are making their own content and there's a community around it i thought wow this i don't remember where i heard about it it sounded very exciting so i got this pc game and while i was doing the freelance stuff and started dabbling in after effects and doing a bit of motion graphics here and there i started just working on these uh pc games and i put a mod team together called virtual lm and we started modding games and i event very quickly had like 25 people in this mod team and then the mods we started making we would take uh old ea f1 games yeah and we would re completely redo them as sports car games what like what console systems were out at this time it's like playstation 1 playstation 2 maybe playstation 2 okay yeah this is uh, the early 2000s Okay, so like Gran Turismo was probably popular, and yeah, like because yeah. I for me that was a really big moment as yeah. a kid of being oh, yeah. an enthusiast of cars, but there really weren't games where you could modify. And I I remember just Gran Turismo where you could you could unlock the race car version of yeah. your car. Well, this is PC gaming. PC right. gaming is where the modding scene was exactly, and that yeah. was just kind of my point to like. I get it. I get that space and I understand how there could be an enthusiast community because that really wasn't there. Like it mm. wasn't like every video game now where you can make, you can change your armor and you're this and you're that. And it was really fun. It was a cool, crazy idea to be able to like mod a video game. Mm-hmm. So that's cool yeah, to hear still, the early days of this. Oh yeah. The last mod that the, this team made, it was called um, Prototype C. And we created every prototype racing car from the early 80s to the early 90s. And then suddenly we were all got headhunted by a game studio 
and then overnight i suddenly became a um a video game producer and designer at ea no was that no no um it was a company called um i was gonna say slightly mad studios they they, it was called simbin okay and they had just released a game called gtr okay and they wanted to make a b team to make another game called gt legends so I produced this game. It was the first game I produced. And uh, it's still quite a well-known game. So very quickly, I thought, I need to take this opportunity. I just finished this game. And I'm going to really try and drive myself forward. I took that, this project that I just completed, and I got a job at EA in my native Vancouver. Because I had already been living in London for almost 10 years by this time. From going to London with dreams of working with the Prodigy, yeah to leaving london having produced a video game that was a 10-year period of tremendous growth and challenge and suffering and financial strife and everything else i think i i tell everyone that it's one of the best things you can do is um tight is is move to another country because you will uncover things about yourself that are very unconscious um things you believe things that you think are the way the world works you will go somewhere else and none of it will be relevant and you have to start over and um, I, I think it can really open one's eyes quite a bit about society one's place in society but also one's value systems and unconscious beliefs and all these things um, so moving to london as looking back now a, a naive kid from the suburbs of vancouver i grew an incredible amount from that experience but i i almost had burned out so yeah. I wanted to go back home. At least I had, I had ideas about home. So uh, EA relocated me. I was married by this time too. Um, back back to Vancouver. And I started on Need for Speed. Okay. Yeah. 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 But in that, before we get to Need, need, need for Speed, because that's mm-hmm. a huge milestone. I, there's a lot that you shared there that I love. And I mm. love that you challenged yourself. And I love that you did go to a different country and that you just felt that discomfort. And I agree with you because when you're in those positions and all of your beliefs are challenged and you can still be open-minded enough to adapt and learn and understand other people, mm. there is tremendous growth. And I don't even necessarily think it has to be a different country, but that's a great way to get that exact situation. Yeah. But just challenging yourself yeah. like that. So I love that you did that. And I'm Be, also being curious. around a society where you're different, yeah, where you're really different, and the moment you speak, you know you're different. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, in my case, I'm you know a person of color, I suppose. So um, I'm always visually different, anyway. I think it, it's really good for everyone to experience this. Uh, it, it can be humbling, but yeah. it, it it's good to be humble. Well, I, I also love that, like, you're beginning, like, you were, like, very admittedly, like, a very shy kid. Mm-hmm. So to just continuously challenge yourself and put yeah. yourself in these situations. Not everyone does that. Not everyone's willing to deal with that discomfort. Mm-hmm. But, and I mean, you had a lot of failure with that. But then there was this growth that led to a part, a milestone of your career. And it's not even just, just scratching the surface. Yeah. One question though, at around the GT Legends era, having experienced what you consider to be failure as a music video director, when you started getting into game modding, did anything feel different? Like, was the traction going faster? Did it have a different energy to it of like, oh, whoa, this might work? Or like compared to what well, I had done the, before? I'd say that I I did that um, from a place of pure authenticity. It made me happy. It created joy to sit there working on these things. That's cool. There was no money. I loved these racing cars. I loved the getting involved with designing games and applying um, a very narrow, geeky fandom of particular racing and just just recreating it inside a PC. Wow. And so it, that's not a commercial thing, right? That you're, you're looking at these 1980s prototype racing cars, Group C, GTP, IMSA GTP cars. You know, it's very narrow. But we, we didn't care. We thought, fuck that. You know, we, did, we didn't even think about commercial implications. We just thought, we love these cars. We're going to put them in the game. And I had worked enough as a professional creative that I made sure we approached it very professionally. We had a beautiful interface, cool logo. The opening video looked like a professional video, you know, the track video that where you open it. Yeah. So we, and we had custom electronic music done. So everything was done to a very particular level. 
but it came from a place of the most authentic and true to self you had been yeah. where you were doing something that you were just passionate about. Yeah. That's a really crazy lesson to hear and like to hear that that paid off. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you hear, hear that all the time when people are truly authentic yeah. to who they are and, and what they're, if they can really understand that. But it or, takes so long to get there. There's a class of creatives. I've heard people say that the naturals, uh, right? And you, you'll you'll meet someone that's you know in their early twenties and they just have it. Yeah. And yeah. The, there's no questioning it, and the the talent is there, the the package is there, and things just happen. Yeah. They may have other challenges later in life for for whatever reasons, but that wasn't the case for me. It, it I had to fight for every inch, um, and I think times are different now. You have the internet, you have YouTube, you have all these platforms that you can show yourself. But I, I used to make um, an experimental video a month in my early 20s. And I would make it, I'd put it on a tape and put it in the drawer because what, what was I going to do with it? There, yeah. there was no YouTube. Right. Um, so things are very different now. The ubiquitous internet and internet culture has flattened everything. So you can be from anywhere and broadcast your talent, your output, your creative practice, people can find it. You can, fans can find you. There's ways to monetize. Yeah. There's ways to have people support what you're doing, even if yeah. it's very narrow, but that wasn't the case at the time. It's really cool to hear that you did get that, like the, not luck, but like the beginning of starting to mod games and without such a crazy platform that we're accustomed to now, mm -hmm. it did get discovered. But I just, that's such a cool lesson and thing to hear. Like, that's so awesome. And I love mm. the way you put that naturals thing too, because I, I, yeah, I, I look at people like that, you know, they, people that grew up in LA, they might've entertainment, uh, industry parents, you know, they get funneled into it and they're, they're just so talented and everything is there. Yes. Um, and but, that sometimes can be discouraging because there's a lot of people that genuinely have such deep passion and want to do something, but aren't like the naturals. So hearing your story and hearing you be like, oh, yeah, it took me failing at this career and yeah. this, this and this. It's like it can still happen. There's a quote from Bruce Lee that I, I love that um, I say to myself, I don't remember the exact terms, but Bruce Lee says something to the effect of sometimes intense desire can cause the necessary talent to emerge. <laughs> or it, or you look at it through the this premise of the 10,000 hours, right? You put the practice in. Yeah. That's what I was saying before. You learn the craft. Yeah. You really, really learn. Then you're going to be ready. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then uh, you can find that level of success. But it may be that even if you have that level of talent and, you know, there, it, this is a bit of a different subject to talk about. Like, what does it take to become uh, successful as a professional creative? Right. We should cover talent that. is is one part of the equation, but it yeah. is not the only equation. When or radical, the only sorry, it's not the only thing that you need. When radical strategies gets to creative careers, mm. we should specifically explore yeah, that. Yeah. I think that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I love like in this podcast, like I think there's a lot of lessons. Like I just love hearing people's personal stories because mm -hmm. you 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 feel lessons in that. So to continue on that, I love that you shared that. So you get to EA, that's a name. You can't deny the name. And Need for Speed, I would imagine, is an established franchise. Yeah, they were at the height of their game. They, when I joined, they had just released Most Wanted. Holy. So and, all of uh, Need for Speed Underground had they, come they, out. Yeah, and they, they were making shit tons of money for EA oh, yeah. Studios called Black Box. And so they could do no wrong, right? Amazing. That studio, people that were just riding a wave of success. Yeah. So there was a lot of freedom and the, you're talking big budget projects. So they brought me in. They liked that I had this music video background that I, from London, um, you know, I was involved with streetwear in different ways. And I, I was a music video director, I knew music, I knew culture. So I became assigned to be the person whose job it was to attach culture in, in, and inject it into the video games. So the first game I worked on was Need for Speed Carbon. Right. They had me in charge of what music played because before then they 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 had like all this new metal and all this stuff, and uh -huh. I, I yeah. totally said we're not forget that music. And then I I brought in different types of music, and then the graphical style. Um, I worked on the storyline elements, some of the storyline elements, and uh, just the overall presentation, adding motion graphics. There were a lot of other people involved in the mix too, but that's kind of where I started. 
you're looking back ea for me was like going to college I, i view it as that i was there eight years i worked on numerous need for speed titles i did a lot of interesting projects but there working for a company like that um you see how large scale creative productions are done when you you're working on large big franchises you can get involved with business being done on an international level these are large scale productions you know they're spending tens of millions of dollars on product marketing so i learned a huge amount and i made a lot of business contacts i grew up i, I would say that's where i made the real transition from being a a creative kid with potential with some creative with creative vision of sorts uh to someone that could also do business could also do a production that could interface with different types of artists work with creatives operate at scale yeah. operate on a level and uh, that was i'd say the most important thing but that that took a little while to to do yeah well that's also so cool to hear because by then you were i mean you said you came back to vancouver you were married and you were probably in your 30s mm -hmm. like that's so encouraging and cool for me yeah. to hear because all too often, at least for myself, being exactly 30 now mm -hmm. and being around creatives and working in the space ever since I was 18, like you feel this pressure that you have to have it figured out at this early age. And again, you had done such cool things throughout all of that time. But the fact that you look back you and you should get rid of that college, thought. Have something done by a certain age is, I don't, I don't even I know. I think it's so silly. Anymore. I think it's so, so silly. Yeah. But if you're being honest, like at my core, right, that's a vulnerable, honest feeling. And like, I know yeah. it's stupid, but you still feel it. And I love to talk and hear things yeah. like that, where it's like, dude, college. Yeah, examine where that thought this. came from. Like, where was that inserted? Who said that? I mean, I would imagine that it's just seeing everyone else, right? It's just the comparison to yeah. all the things. But I think a lot of people feel that, you know, that's a common, common yeah, feeling it, that it I is, hear. It is. It is. Social mine. media perpetuates that. Yeah. Because everyone's broadcasting that they have some kind of life. Yeah. Presenting a certain way. Obviously, if you're ambitious and you want to do shit, um, having burning desire is a good yeah. thing. Well, I mean, don't get me you wrong. You know, having like, drive and you wanting to find success and, and focusing and making shit happen. That's, that's all good. It's good to have. Where if it becomes um, a form of self-hatred well, or self-judgment, right. then you got to really examine, yeah. is it positive energy or is it negative energy? Are you doing energy? it for the right reasons? Are, yeah. you, are these values and these things you're doing yeah. for the right reasons? And, you know, don't get me wrong, like it's not some deep, deep thing that I'm like boxing with all the time, but I think that it's, I hear it a lot amongst mm. my age group and amongst friends of mine. And I just think it's cool. And I've always had this respect for you because you've accomplished so much and you've had this journey and I've known bits of it, not all of it, but it's just cool to hear that that's when you're like, that was my college. Like it, it's inspiring to hear that the creative journey never stops and that you're continuously learning. So that, that's, that's, where that's, I, that's where I became an adult. It wasn't easy at all, but um, it was, I look back on the time at EA as very important for my growth as a person, as a human. And what great things to see and be a part of because mm -hmm. like budgets like that and seeing business work on that level and understanding it is a whole different yeah. level from producing your own music video shoots or building a game with 25 people, yeah. which is still huge. So, damn. I, I uh, had some good mentors there. Yeah, There were some people that looked at me, they saw whatever potential. Mm -hmm. um, I guess they saw how i needed to grow and they would push me to grow yeah some of them pushed me to start talking yeah because i didn't talk well oh so I, still through that you were yeah I, I would guy. be i remember the first few months there you know i was in these meetings with a room of video game designers just in, and i'd never done this before i'm just suddenly in a room full of people they're writing on a whiteboard i have no idea what's going i never seen a whiteboard before everyone's throwing ideas out there and i was i was given a team of 3d animators and we would have once a week a team meeting and i would just sit there i didn't even know that i was supposed to be inspiring them and talking through what was happening in the project and you know being their representative to the other producers you know the, the animator story team i would just sit there so some of these mentors would um say okay you're going to talk at the next team meeting and i have to stand up in front of 250 people and talk 
or uh, they also once put me in front of the um, the CEO of EA, John Riccatello, um, because uh, one of my bosses decided that we needed to make a car culture website. They said, can you make a car culture website? They said, car culture destination. This is 2006. So I went on vacation uh, to New Zealand and sat there for two weeks, did a bunch of research. Um, I looked at these these uh, face, there's a website called Face Hunter, which uh, like street street fashion photography okay. and the people, oh. there was another one called Satorialist and these people would walk that. around, you know, they take pictures of people and you could see, okay, this is what people are wearing in Tokyo. Yeah. This is what people are wearing in New York. This is what the style is. I thought, oh, we should do that for cars. So let's do this thing called Speed Hunters and uh, came up with that. The thing to note though, my bosses said, you need to make a presentation and present it to the CEO of EA. And I had never made a presentation before. And I worked on this presentation for three weeks, you know, and I would show it to my bosses, a guy named Larry Lapierre. Hi, Larry. And, uh, you know, he would coach me and I would have to present it to him and he would coach me and change this and do that. And, and now, you know, I make presentations in my sleep, you know, but it's, uh, it's because of that type of thing where you have people who are happy to invest in others. Um, I, I personally benefited greatly from that and I've grown from that through the help of others where i'm at now in my career i i feel like i've developed enough in different areas that i'm i'm hopeful that i can help others yeah or help develop other people because that certainly i've benefited from that and i almost feel it's like my duty to pass on whatever knowledge and skill sets that i've learned that's really cool that you say that and i I think that a lot of people will a lot of people that have had their own success and Mm -hmm still are just inspired and want to continue to create good things. I hear that a lot. And that's so cool. Yeah. And I, I literally can speak to that firsthand because we sit down and brainstorm how we can do these episodes of radical strategies to inspire a better future and yeah. to help people. So that's, that's cool say, to hear. Uh, uh, Andrew, that email you wrote, uh, can you rewrite that? Honestly? Yeah, I know. It's cool. Like <laughs> it's been a really fun experience for me because I look at my life and I think I've had a lot of really cool mentors and mm. I think I learn different things from different people. And yeah, it's been so cool to learn what I've learned from you because it's from this whole different scope. It's funny. Like there, there's like little tiny tricks that I've learned from you where I'm like, how the fuck does he know this? But it's cool. I, I've worked with a lot of Pretty amazing people. It's something that I I realize is that you must keep learning. Mm -hmm. And it's always good to surround yourself with people who are very good at what they do. Yeah. And have skill sets that you do not have. Yeah. Who understand things that you do not understand. Um, You can be good at something and even finding some level of success. Right. Say in whatever creative field you're in, you can be good at making the thing, the creative product from your practice. But there may be something over here that if you could learn that would greatly benefit your creative practice. It's something I've always done for whatever reason. I don't, maybe I write a book somewhere or something, but I've always, uh, like when I was in art school, I would always have lunches with all the teachers yeah. and I would just hang out with them Yeah, and, um, and they, would, they would help me for whatever reasons, yeah. I don't know. But I believe it's very important to surround yourself with a real wide variety of people, people that are much further along, yes, who are much more successful than you are, yes, who make shit tons more money than you are, and then be around people that who you're much further along in your creative path or career than they are. Mm. Um, because this can be an exchange there as well, yeah. right? Uh, they may be tapped into new types of creativity new platforms new ways of thinking whatever new styles new music yeah whatever creative influence you you just have to be open yeah i I think you got to be just taking in as much as possible i really do and connected to a wide variety of people if you're around people who are all the same as you whether they're the same like culture as you you know the same sex as you the same orientation as you that's not good yeah you're going to be into a hall of mirrors. And I think that that's very limiting. Yeah. And I really like what you say too, of just like, I think it takes a certain amount of humility Mm -hmm. to like be open to somebody being better than you at something and just being like, wow, this person has a lot of time in the game and experience 
and they're willing to talk to me. Like, what could I learn? What could I ask? Yeah. What do they focus on? What are they sharing? Yeah. What do they pay attention to? I like to look at mindset. Like, for example, um, I, I lived in Sweden for a while, and I was working closely with this executive who was there, Patrick Soderlund, who was uh, the boss of EA Dice, where they made Battlefield. Mm. And I got to spend a lot of time with him for a couple of years. And you just kind of see how they look at the world, mm -hmm. the lens that they work at, look at things. And you can see what is their mindset. You don't have to agree with everything or take on board, but you can try and understand, like, They've gotten to that place with their career. Yep. What can I learn from this? Yeah. Or, okay, I disagree with their mindset. What is my mindset? What is their mindset? Identifying the difference mm -hmm. and understanding maybe even why. Challenging yourself to look at why even and identify that because you might realize that you're wrong and you held a bias for no reason. Mm -hmm. Or you might realize like, oh, this is why I'm going to be the next, why I'm going to change the world because this incredibly smart person doesn't realize this. And mm -hmm. now it's my job to do that. I don't know. A little bit of a sidebar, but cool. <laughs> so you have such a story and we only have so much podcast time. Speed Hunters was huge. And for all of my music listeners that don't know the website, it was a huge inspiration. It was a big, big piece of car culture at the time. Yeah. Very we were, popular we were, website. We promoted the notion of car culture. This yeah. notion of car culture wasn't, that term wasn't in widespread use. Yeah. It's something that we pushed. Yeah. yeah. And it really like it was very validating to be into that scene and find a place where you're like, oh, these people are building the same things that I'm building. And wow, what a cool idea. And it was yeah. just like really high art. Like it was it was very well presented, beautiful photography. Like it was pushing it was pushing a new look on something that we all loved. So it was very important. And it's very cool that you were a part that I mean, that was your idea mm -hmm. and that you you started that. So I want to get to, well, I mean, take me there, do that. But I want to get to you getting to race service because that's such a big piece of us meeting and all of that and what you're up to now. But yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, I stopped working on speed hunters when I left EA because mm. I, I realized, you know, I've created this brand and this thing. I don't own any of it. Mm. This multinational right, it corporation IP. owns yeah. it. And, you know, I've got my, my, half sort of respectable salary kind of mm -hmm. um what am i doing here right um i need to benefit shortly after we founded speed hunters in 2007 2008 uh i started seeing this wheel company rotiform you know we, we became friendly with them and and we uh you know they made great stuff and amazing styles etc but then i remember a few years later um they sold it and you know they were doing well now now they're buying like cool cars and houses yeah, and all that yeah. and i was still like giving everything i had into this brand that i started that i didn't own i thought uh this isn't this isn't going to work out i need to shift things yeah at the time living in sweden etc and uh yeah decided to make a lot of wholesale changes and uh, i'd always dreamed of living in los angeles um but i'm not american so it's easier said than done to be living in Scandinavia uh, to figure out how you're going to get to LA and get back to a West Coast lifestyle because I'm from the West Coast and I've right. and I've, you had I've your always time in the early days music video director Rod like you were here in Malibu yeah so you knew it you yeah, got a taste yeah and I I like big cities I I like being in a cultural flashpoint locally um, but also a place that's maybe a bit more chill. Because I lived in London, I lived in Stockholm. You know, these are very intense, very dense places. Where as a car fan, there's no way to really enjoy cars. I never owned a car uh, when I lived in in Stockholm, for example, that and only for a very funny. short period of time in London. I joined a a, a company called Sightman Studios and worked on this simulation title, um, Project Cars Two, mm -hmm. and that's when I was appointed. Uh, chief commercial officer of the studio so I, I reached that level and i started i decided to focus on business for a period of time and set my creative ambitions aside and just do business on that level um so i worked with ferrari Lamborghini, nissan brought all these these brands into the game i brought did a deal with porsche brought them in, got to collaborate with these brands very closely so that was um if you look at the potential seeing at EA, seeing business done on a certain level, 
the business behind a creative product and then being the one the face of that business and uh, doing business for a creative project product project cars too got involved with esports and learned a lot there took that responsibility on but it's kind of a startup uh program uh and then joined another a, a startup called robo race yeah um which was a tremendous uh, learning experience there as well and did that for a period of time autonomous driving so that was really the exit from the gaming industry to work more with real life cars and you know really cutting edge technologies etc but uh the 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 ambition was still to come to la i'd say this is one of the another reason a thing that i was thinking about as i was leaving ea a promise I made to myself. One was go to LA, but the other promise I made to myself is that I want to be in control of my day to day. Yeah. And I would like to be able to live well from my skill set and do exciting projects that I'm that I'm proud of and really motivated for. All of this led to race service. Wow. And and joining that that team. There are a lot of people there that I'd known a long time. So yeah, that's that's where I am now. And yeah. doing a multitude of different different projects. And that's really yeah. like that's where I've gotten to know you. And that's where I've seen all of these skills come to life. And I watch you do all sorts of different things, be it streetwear and fashion and projects with acronyms still, mm. or, you know, deals with McLaren and coming up with these crazy ideas. I don't know how much we can talk about, but it's cool to see you do things. Um, and I've learned so much there. And now again, radical strategies, but it's just cool. It's cool to understand everything that led you to that point. Mm -hmm. And I, I love I love that takeaway from EA and from Speed Hunters too. And I think that's another thing that's probably happening more and more now in this current day and age where it's possible for people to own their own things and their own intellectual property yeah. and yeah. think of it like that. I don't think that was always the case. I think we're no. I mean, of course, forever. <laughs> well, if you look at the music industry, certainly yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. I get so inspired about that. When I have independent artists on this podcast, oh my God. Because like before you had to sign to a label. You had like, what else are you going to do? You can't get physical distribution. Physical mattered so much. But now you can produce your own music. You can distribute it like you were talking about. You were making all these experimental films and you know where to upload it to. And now people do. Yeah. So it's yeah. so inspiring and exciting. Yeah. Uh, I think that different creative industries have all experienced different levels of disruption the world is changing very quickly and uh some people look back on the the glory days of web 2.0 where there were blogs and you yeah. could read things yeah now you can't do that now yes. everything's scattered if you just look at the um the monopoly that record labels had on output right they could get something played on the radio and they had the audience they had the ears you know they had the monopoly yeah. It's interesting because I don't think there were as many bands back then, were there? <laughs> well, were there? Not to or the same. Maybe we there were. Not to our knowledge. Yeah, I don't know. Because now it's so accessible. Yeah, the world just keeps changing and shifting. Um, I, I heard that the analysts, uh, there's the World Economic Forum, I think two years ago or so, they were saying that in the next 30 years is going to be the amount of change as the last 3,000 years of human history. Some crazy number like this that that sounds so nuts, but honestly, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, well, just think, you know, the world we're in now, and try and remember two years ago, right? Dude, dude. so and, much has changed, and and will continue to. And to bring this all full circle, another thing that I see you do at Race Service because I am a part of it is radical strategies and understanding your entire story mm. and everything you've gone through and done and accomplished and all of it to now even myself like dude like we've been working on this project for a year and i didn't know all of this backstory and it, it makes it mean so much more to me to be like damn this dude that's done all this still has the desire and it's it's a priority to do this podcast and to talk to people about the future and try mm -hmm. to see if we can figure it out and try to inspire people and try to make the world a better place because like there's a lot of different things you could be doing and a lot of different places you could be spending your time. Yeah. And that it validates the fact that that's important and conversations like that are important. Part of my motivation for Radical Strategies is to hopefully help some young creative people. I imagine the scenario is some teenagers somewhere, someone that has the a spark about them, you know, yeah. something there's something special about them, but maybe they don't have the support at home. Yeah. 
or maybe they're there's a world where they they take the right steps and then they're going to find a career as a creative professional and then there's another potentiality where they don't quite take those decisions or they don't quite have the support or whatever it is you know yeah or an opportunity comes towards them the spotlight starts shining at them and then they shy away from it they don't know because they they don't don't realize that when that spotlight comes you got to go into it what is the term lean in all that you know so hopefully if they can be seeing all of these really interesting people that that we're talking to in radical strategies i i hope that someone out there who's starting their career as a creative or would like to be some kind of um, professional creative will hopefully be encouraged that they, they can see that there's a lot of misfits out there who are unusual people who might you know when they're younger might have been real outcasts who do find their way and they're going to be seeing us talk to them right and I, I think that's why you just said that so well yeah. and i think that's why i gravitated towards the project so much because my basic purpose for this podcast mm-hmm. is the same but your view and the the scope and the angle that radical strategies takes is something that's very unique and something that I've never seen and heard of. And when there's something that I haven't seen and heard of before, <laughs> I have to do it. I have yeah. to figure it out. And that is like, this is very long form. It's hearing people's stories start to finish, learning lessons along the way. Radical strategies, we're keeping it. We're forcing ourselves to stay to 30 minutes, mm-hmm. which is hard to do when you talk to inspiring people yeah. with that much knowledge. Yeah. Keeping it at 30 minutes, taking a very specific subject every season and saying the future of blank. So the future of the future, we had a little fun with that one. Mm. The future of collaborations, the future of X creative career, the future of fashion, anything, and finding people very specifically in these industries and learning. And I think that that, hopefully, if we do it right and hopefully if it catches and people understand, not only will we inspire those people that, that should lean in and need to find that, but it will be a resource where you can get very specific information on what you're interested in. Yeah. Going narrow, right? And you and I will hopefully become slightly smarter. Hopefully. I, I feel like I already talking, have, dude. Yeah, true. Sometimes we're talking to our guests and you know, my I feel like new folds coming into my brain. Dude, while, some while of, we talk to these people. Some of the because you ask good questions. Like I'll hear you and I, I kind of know where you're gonna go with it. Mm. And they'll answer with things where like, I'm just not ready for it. Or they'll <laughs> challenge your perspective on something so hard where I'm sitting there like headphones on, making sure the levels are good. I'm like, like completely losing sight everything of everything. I know is wrong. Oh <laughs> yeah. no. It's, it's been really fun. And I, I think that's extremely rewarding when you try to help people and try to share knowledge because you too get to learn. And let's face it, you know, things are not that rosy in the world. Do right now, do the world is on fire, quite literally. We're bearing in mind this is the climate that we're asking these questions in, yeah. So, that's another thing that's a, a part of radical strategies as well. Is um, how where do we go from here? Yeah, it's geared towards creative people, yes, there's no doubt about that. And the different types of careers that you can have from being a I would view being a professional gamer in there or someone that wants yeah. to make video games or someone that wants to write electronic music or someone that wants to be a con- content creator, yeah. professional photographer, if, filmmaker. If we want to whatever. continue to have a future yeah. and if we want to have careers, we have to make sure we don't burn the earth down too. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there is a bit of that too. Yeah. And I, I think we'll just be looking at and talking to as, as many different people as we can and learning what we can learn from them. Yeah. So check me out typically at the end of this podcast i ask a question to my guests of like this is a naughty look because i was thinking about this when i was thinking about this episode i was like oh it's gonna be so good so normally i'll be like okay if you could go back to any spot in your career what would you tell yourself what would your advice be but Mm. no 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 not for this one mr rod chong what is your radical strategy (laughs) (laughs) what is my radical strategy hmm good that's one, a tricky huh? one because we've been talking to a wide variety of people my initial inclination is to talk about authenticity i mean i think i'll say that you really need to look in the mirror and you really need to try and see yourself for what you are not 
who you think you are or the storylines that someone else has given you, um, really look and see or try to and try and understand what you think and why you think those things and who gave those thoughts to you. Is that really you? Is that your authentic you? Or did someone else insert some storyline? Um, I'd say that is one of the most important things that one can do is really try and understand oneself. Getting back to true yeah. self. And the, there's this one um, kind of guru that that I like, that I, I listen to sometimes. I read books, uh, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. And, and one thing that I, I like that he says is, uh, don't believe everything you think. Wow. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, you have a voice that's chattering away. It's telling you stories of what it thinks about yeah, its world. all and, the time. You know, it, its relation to things. And it's really important to understand what that voice is and where it comes from. Yeah. Um, is, is that voice from a place of hurt? Is that voice coming from a place of expectation? Is that voice fearful? Um, is that voice coming from a place of love and authenticity? This, this takes a bit of work to unravel these things. Um, but I think the more clean you are, the more you understand who you are and your authenticity, um, you can then really move forward. You can say, this is what it is. And then if if you're really pure in that respect, you're not going to care if people like you or not. You're going to not have fear of rejection because fear of rejection itself determines a fair amount. And as a creative person, you probably experience that a fair amount, right? And, Any and, creative will experience yeah. rejection. And so if you have a creative, say you're a, an amazing singer, right? And you have that fear of rejection, right? There may be that moment where the opportunity comes, right? The spotlights comes. This is your moment to perform, right? You go through, you deliver, opportunities are coming, right? But if, the, if there's this lingering fear, whatever, you shy away, then uh, then opportunities may not be coming. I've certainly had that happen before where I had fear, opportunity, door opened, door presented itself, and I didn't go through because I was cautious, afraid, whatever, you know? And the more that I've worked on myself, the more that I really know my deal, the less that happens. The less afraid you are to put yourself in that spotlight because yeah. it's you. Yeah, I'll tell you a little story, an example. I went to London because I loved The Prodigy right um and you know i grew up punk music all that. i love british culture music all that stuff and uh within one month of arriving in london i was standing on the side of the road waiting for a bus guess who walks in front of me this is like two in the morning shaftesbury avenue soho the london prodigy the prodigy <laughs> no yeah they're walking like i'm standing here they're walking right like manifested into the simulation. You're like, that's why I came here. You're there. What do you think I did? You didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I just stood there and looked at them. Fuck. And I watched them go. Because I, I just didn't, for whatever reason, you know, that 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 feeling of empowerment wasn't there. But now, uh, you know, I'll, that doesn't happen now. Right. Right. But I, I know what my deal is, right? Yeah. And sure, like there's etiquette. Like if you were to have come up and said something, there's the way to do it. There's tact. There's not, I'm your biggest fan. Put me on blah, blah, blah. But to be like, hey, this is crazy. I moved here wanting to meet you and I, I see you I, at two in the morning. I whatever. think when you're operating on a certain level yeah, um, and you're, you, you are doing things on a certain level, you can go up to someone who's also on a level yeah. and just vibe and it's yeah. just there. Yeah. You don't have to come in. Oh, I love, you know, you can just, you're there. Yes. And um, that happens now, right? Where right. I'll be around circulating and then yeah. one thing that I is very important to me are my friendships and my my collaborations and all that. And I'm I'm a very loyal person. But you know, that that type of connection, it just happens sometimes. And then and then uh, you know, I'll, those kind of relationships for me are very important and they they usually will last for a period. Yeah. Or they don't. But, yeah, but um, anyway, that that's just a story about the prodigy, and I, I'm just saying that I hadn't done the work on myself. I wasn't ready, but there was still a doorway, right? That yeah. was there. Yeah. But it. So that's why I say, look in the mirror and do the work. Yeah. And um, really understand yourself. That's 
you did good. You earned the title. You earned having a podcast called Radical Strategies. <laughs> you did a good one. You did a good one there. Yeah. <laughs> you like that though? You see how I did that? Yeah. Yeah. So I can say, oh, little rod in London. Mm-hmm. Have confidence. Go talk to the prodigy. Right. Yeah. No, that's kind no. of the that's the more where all my friends approach. So yeah, you, you covered <laughs> them both. Dude. Uh, I would have said that to myself, right? Uh, if I had worked on if I'd been more evolved yeah. instead of but it, it took for me failure and going somewhere and having uh intense, difficult place like London to reformat me. Yeah. To um, learn that lesson. Yeah. And then EA reformatted me again. Yeah. And it took that level of pressure. I came out of those two experiences, one living in London for 10 years, being at EA for eight years. Yeah. By the time I finished that, I was ready. Yeah. But by then I was already in my mid late thirties. But but I find that's that what so inspiring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's so cool. Because I never now, gave I mean, up. Right. Dude. Yeah. That's huge. I I think we did it, man. So there you have it, Rod's story, and you've learned a little bit more about myself and Rod and the motivation behind making Radical Strategies, which is a project that I am so genuinely excited for. It's been one of the most fulfilling things I've done. Obviously, I love where all my friends and nothing about this will stop. It will keep going. But having Rod's network of people and everything that Race Service is doing and having the chance to explore even more creative fields and hear from even more experts and hopefully inspiring a whole new generation of creatives is something that I could not be more excited about. That's the whole reason I do this podcast. And if I can do that on a bigger scale and do that with even more people, you know I gotta. So typically I wrap up the podcast by asking you to rate it, to subscribe, to tell your friends all that good stuff. This time around, I want you to do that for Radical Strategies. If you could do me the biggest favor and go look it up on wherever you listen to podcasts, it's out everywhere, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all of that, go search Radical Strategies, go subscribe, go listen to an episode. I'm so proud of the work that we put into this and how it turned out, even down to the Instagram. If you look at every single square, it's a different clip from a different episode and it all comes together. And there was so much thought and care and attention to detail put into this. So if you would do us that favor and go check it out and subscribe and tell your friends about it. And once you listen, let both of us know what you think. Because again, it's something that we're both really, really excited about. And we want to make it as good as it possibly can be. So if there's people that you want to hear from on that show, or if there's suggestions that you have, we're all ears and I would love to hear from you. That about says it. I'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you for listening.